I'm William Henry. And I am Michael Penny. And to start with today, we want to look at the world of work. Does God have an interest in how we do in our secular work? Or is it just our Christian service? Is our Christian service more important in his eyes than our daily grind? What do you think? Well, I think that seems to be the view in some Christian circles anyway. We tend to get very little teaching in the churches to help us to do what we should be doing in, in a very changing workplace. We seem to spend most of our waking hours there, um, but yet often it's disregarded in the church. We offer prayers for Miss Smith for her work as a Sunday school teacher, but not for her arguably equally important work from Monday to Friday as a maths teacher. Well, yeah, I, I, I can understand that. That was certainly true when I was in teaching. Fellow Christians were very interested and prayed for the work I did in running the Christian fellowship in the school. That was one lunchtime a week. <laughs> but I think there was very little prayer for the time I spent in front of all the classes I taught. But I felt that what I did in those secular lessons was really, really important. Uh, you know, not only did I feel it was necessary for me as a Christian to do the best I could for those students, but also the better I did in the classroom, the better witness I was being for Christ. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I think it's probably unwise for us to separate the sacred aspects of our lives from the secular sort of dimension and, and treat the sacred bit as more important. And the Lord expects us to be working for him 24-7. The book of Proverbs talks about how we should approach our work. First and foremost, it says we're expected to be diligent in everything we do. And repeatedly, the, the writers of Proverbs encourage us to be hardworking and warn about the dangers of laziness. I mean, Proverbs 10 says, lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 6, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Yeah, the consequences of slacking are self-evident in any society. But in the agrarian society in which Proverbs is written, well, failure to work the land or failure to sow and weed and water or failure to gather the harvest at the appropriate time was potentially disastrous for the community. No wonder Solomon says in, I think it's Psalm 18:9 that one who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. Yeah, but I think there's a more general principle at stake here. God created us to work in the Garden of Eden. Even before the fall, Adam was told to work and take care of the garden in Genesis 2. And then after the fall, that work became more arduous. It became more difficult. It became subject to frustration. But the necessity mm. for work has never gone away. Uh. But isn't a conscientious approach to our work an outworking of the principle of self-discipline, which we've spoken about a number of times earlier in this series? For self-discipline is at the heart of godly wisdom and combines uh, competence and faithfulness. It makes us people who can be trusted and more fit for the service of God and others. I think it's Proverbs 22.19 says, Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. And then again, in Proverbs 29, 20, we read, a faithful man will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich 
will not go unpunished. Yes, it's interesting that in several of the Lord Jesus' parables of the kingdom, servants are commended for their faithful work. And I think it's a point that's worth noting that the reward for faithful service is more work. <laughs> for example, Matthew 25, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. So you see that hard and competent work are really important, but they are not really enough on their own. The servant is expected to be faithful and he's commended for being faithful. So we also need to have integrity in the way in which we do our work. Yeah. Yeah, and almost every verse in Proverbs 11 contrasts the wisdom of the man or woman of integrity with the folly of those who are unfaithful, who are described as dishonest and deceitful. I mean, for example, the opening verse says, say, the man, sorry, the Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. And then in verse three, we read the integrity of the upright guides them but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Yes, exactly. The Lord expects total honesty in our business dealings and will honour us if we honour him by being faithful to his teachings. Proverbs says a lot about people who are greedy and who take bribes or backhanders or whatever you call it these days. For example, Proverbs 15 says, a greedy man brings trouble to his family, but he who hates bribes will live. And then two chapters later in Proverbs 17, it says, a wicked man accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the course of justice. Yeah. You know, there's a number of uh, get-rich schemes in our society. I suppose the best-known one is probably the lottery. And many who have won big prizes, big money in, in the lottery, often regret it, which seems to show the truth of Proverbs 2021, which states, an inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Uh, and, and then there's those, um, those investment schemes, Ponzi schemes, and others like them, which offer unusually high returns, but they are basically dishonest. And many people have lost a lot of money on them. Um, Proverbs 13, 11 says, dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Well, you know what they say, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah, that's true. But the trouble is, sometimes it doesn't just hit a few individuals. Everybody gets impacted. Yes, exactly. Now, if you think of the, the banking crisis of 2008, which really hit Western society badly, we have all had to pay a huge price for that, either in increased taxes or cuts to services to fund the government bailouts these were banks that had gone for short-term gains through schemes that had unacceptable long-term risks. And the tradition of prudence with profits gathered little by little, as Proverbs says, Proverbs 13 that you just read a, a minute or so ago, profits gathered little by little used to be the practice of banks. And that had been a major feature of our banking system, but that was all kind of set aside in this kind of headlong rush for short-term profits and to enable big bonuses to be paid to senior management and big dividends to the shareholders. Well, well, I suppose that would have been bad enough if it was down just to errors of judgment. However, in some cases, individual traders simply 
gambled with the funds they manage. And that is people's investments, including their pension funds. And in doing that gambling, they broke the rules of their own organizations. Then when it all went wrong, they broke the laws of the land in an attempt to cover up their masses losses. And it was bound to end in tears. Proverbs 2017 puts it rather poetically. Food gained by fraud tastes sweet to a man, but he ends up with a mouth of gravel. I don't fancy a mouth of gravel. Um, however, we, we do need to get our priorities right. I think wisdom shows us that ill-gotten gain is not worth the price in terms of the corruption of our character. Proverbs 19 says, better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. And later on in the same chapter, it says it's better to be poor than a liar. Yeah. As we've said many times in this series of podcasts, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and reverence of him should lie at the heart of all that we do. If we're going to honour God with our lives, then we need to be consistent in all aspects of our lives, not only on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday. Um, I don't think there's any really secular sacred divide when it comes to serving the Lord. In a work context, we honour him by showing diligence and prudence and having a responsible behaviour, honesty and integrity of the hallmarks. Um, remember that first verse of Proverbs chapter 22? A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Yeah, rich and poor are all the same, aren't they? The Lord obviously doesn't distinguish people by their wealth. Mm. We don't gain our worth as his children from the money we possess. Instead, we show ourselves to be true sons and daughters of his to the extent that we put his ways into practice. Wherever we are, whether in church or in our place of work, the important thing is our character. How does he and how do others see us? Well, in Western culture, the heart is primarily regarded as the place of emotion. We feel love or hatred in our hearts, we say. However, to the writers of Proverbs, the heart represented something more fundamental. To, her, to them, the heart was basically the control center of a person, regulating their mind and their will and shaping their character. The key to success was making sure their heart was guiding them in the right direction. Now, here are two quotes about the heart. The first is from Proverbs 14.33. Wisdom reposes in the heart of the discerning, and even among fools, she lets herself be known. And here is the second from Proverbs 23, 19. Listen, my son, and be wise, and keep your heart on the right path. So, if we are discerning people, as Proverbs 14, 33 indicates, we will make sure that wisdom is reposing in our hearts. Yeah, but... What is it that makes us who we are? Is it nature or is it nurture, as some people put it? Mm. No doubt, I think it's partly genetic, as we may inherit some of our parents' aptitudes and strengths and weaknesses. However, I think a lot of what we are is molded by the practices we develop ourselves, the thoughts and the attitudes that we nurture. I think we live in a, 
a materialistic, hedonistic and permissive society among people whose values and lifestyles are very different from those that are pleasing to the Lord. And in that case, we have to be really careful to try to screen out and to reject attitudes that go against his ways. Because what we absorb into our hearts influences the kind of people we are, because all our driving impulses come from the heart. Well, if that is the case, and I think it is, we need to be careful what we take into our hearts. As Proverbs 23, 12 says, apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. On the other hand, five verses later, we are told, do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Yeah, um, if we're zealous for the fear of the Lord, then we should be careful only to take on board influences that are going to be helpful in making us the kind of people he wants us to be. It's very easy, I think, for us to find ourselves envying sinners, people who are doing wrong. Um, The life of crime seems very glamorous sometimes. The writer of Psalm 73 explains how his feet almost slipped. He almost lost his faith because he envied the arrogant when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. But he soon realized it's foolish to think like that because when he looked to the end, he saw their final destiny when that was really disastrous. So if we are wise, we will be careful what we take into our hearts because it will influence our character. Yeah, but not only do our hearts determine our character, what is in our hearts determines our conduct. It uh, shows itself in the way we live. Uh, In Proverbs 4.23, Solomon warns us, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. You see, our heart is like a source of spring water that goes out to become a great river. If the source is contaminated, all that flows from it will be contaminated. However, if the source is rich in minerals, the steam will produce fertility in the soil through which it passes. So the nature of our heart determines the kind of people we are, and it will be obvious from our conduct. Proverbs 27, 19 puts it, as water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. So if our hearts are wisely guarded, that will result in us being careful in what we say and what we do. What flows from us will be positive and helpful. So Proverbs 15 says the heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Proverbs 16, a wise man's heart guides his mouth and his lips promote instruction. However, you know, the Lord Jesus pointed out something very different about the heart. He warned that the heart can be the source of all kinds of evil. This is what he said in Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Yeah, I think sometimes uh, some Christian people tend to blame Satan for these kind of things. But I think it's clear from the scripture that they stem from within ourselves. So therefore, we have to take care of what we take into our hearts because it's going to determine the way we behave. But I think 
There's also another reason why we need to guard our hearts, and that is because they are open to the Lord. He judges us on the basis of what he sees in our hearts, and he can look right in there. Mm. This is what Proverbs 17 says, a crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember this well, I'm certain, that when Samuel visited Jesse to anoint one of his sons as kings of Israel to yeah, succeed Saul, right. Samuel was impressed by Eliab and was sure that he must be the chosen one. But God had other ideas. And 1 Samuel 16, 7 records what God said to Samuel. This is what God said to Samuel. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Yeah, so it's quite a sobering thought, isn't it? There's nothing that's hidden from the Lord. He sees us as we really are. And he's not going to be fobbed off by empty religious ceremony or even by someone who lives in a moral way. He looks at our motives and he knows what drives us. And that's why, or one of the reasons why fear of the Lord, I think, lies at the heart of wisdom. If we're going to be really discerning in the way we are, we will recognize that any principles or aims or priorities that we have in life have got to be well, saturated in a kind of reverence and respect for the Lord if they're going to have any lasting value. Yeah. Well, in the first podcast in this series, we learned that Wisdom was like a woman to be embraced. And in this series of studies in Proverbs, we have explored different aspects of the wise man's character and behavior. However, in podcast five, we referred to Proverbs 9.13. There, folly is personified as a very different type of woman. One who is loud, one who is unruly, ill-disciplined in speech and lacking in knowledge. So, to conclude this series on Proverbs, we'll spend some time considering other such people. For in Proverbs, we do not meet only the wise, but we are also introduced to the unwise. And there are different aspects of unwisdom, if, if I can use that word, which need to be teased out to help us see the nature of the wise man more clearly. Now, there are three principal types of individuals the Proverbs contrasts with the wise and prudent. And these three are the simple, the fool, and the mocker. All are listed in Proverbs 1.22, which says, How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will you mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Okay, let's, let's start with the simple. In Proverbs, a simple man is someone who doesn't understand. He is ignorant and seems to be unable to learn from his mistakes. And as a result, he sort of lacks moral direction and therefore he can get caught up in a lot of unwise living. For example, Proverbs 7 says, I saw among the simple, I noticed among them a young man who lacked judgment. And the passage then goes on to describe his downfall as he loiters near the house of the prostitute. And he's persuaded without any great difficulty, in fact, to spend the night with her while her husband is away. Proverbs 7 goes on, all at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, 
like a deer stepping into a noose. I mean, this young man is not particularly evil. He's more like a dumb animal who falls into a trap. He's naive and he's easily led. Proverbs 14 says, a simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thought to his steps. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. So if this uh, simple man could only learn wisdom, his life might perhaps have a better outcome. In Proverbs chapter 9, Lady Wisdom pleads with the simple to turn to her rather than to turn to the prostitute. She says, let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. Okay, so then there is hope for the simple if they take the opportunity to learn wisdom. But what's the difference between the simple and the fool? What does Proverbs say about the fool, Will? Well, the fool has more serious problems. I think unlike the simple man, he's morally deficient. He has a tendency towards evil. So he has a slant in that direction. So Proverbs 10 says, a fool finds pleasure in evil conduct. But a man of understanding delights in wisdom. So we get that contrast. Then in Proverbs 18, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. So I think that because he is a high opinion of himself and he trusts his own judgment, he's not open to advice. And therefore, he's never going to learn. But in reality, his judgment is suspect. And he's also, I think, too impulsive. So Proverbs 12 says the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. It says similar things in Proverbs 10 and Proverbs 28. And chapter 14 says a wise man fears the Lord and shuns evil, but a fool is hot-headed and reckless. Hmm. As we have seen throughout these studies, a great deal of the book of Proverbs is written in the form of advice from a father to his son, which is designed to keep him on the path of wisdom, to help him to play a responsible role in society. However, if that son is a fool, the father's words are wasted, aren't they? And the father is driven to despair as he sees the headstrong young man blundering his way through life. Proverbs 15.5 states, a fool despises his father's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. And then in Proverbs 17.21, that describes the sad result of having a son that is a fool. To have a fool for a son brings grief, and there is no joy for the father of a fool. Well, that's really serious, isn't it? Yeah. So, so the fool is different from the simple. The simple can learn the way of the wise, but the fool refuses to learn. The simple is drawn into evil ways, but the fool has a tendency towards evil ways. But there's a third category as well, the mocker. What about him? Oh, yeah. Well, in Proverbs, the mocker is the one who is furthest removed from the way of wisdom. Like the fool, he does not listen to advice and creates trouble wherever he goes. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. That's in Proverbs 9.8. 
And there is more in Proverbs 13.1 and 15.12. However, Proverbs 22.10 gives some strong advice on how to deal with a mocker. Drive out the mocker and out goes strife, quarrels and insults. They are ended. Note that the mocker goes much further than the fool. He sneers at wisdom and also at prudent living and is, and is therefore not open to rational discussion or advice. He has built a wall of superiority around himself that makes him immune to any criticism or alternative points of view. As Proverbs 21, 24 puts it, the proud and haughty man, mocker is his name. He behaves with overweening pride. Yeah, I think that, as we've seen in previous podcasts, the danger of pride is that it makes us forget our dependence on the Lord. And it encourages us to feel secure in our own abilities, our own achievements, our own possessions. But I think that's a false security because these things can be lost in a moment and trusting in them is a really short-sighted basis for living. Also, we need to remember that as Proverbs 16 says, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Yeah, so as we have explored what Proverbs has to say about the naivety of the simple, the rashness of the fool, and the arrogance of the mocker, it is interesting to note the number of times the negative characteristics are contrasted with the way of the wise. When we look at the positive alternatives and concentrate on them, we find a better way of living. We have seen the dangers of the simple, the dangers of the fool and the mocker, but we have also seen the Proverbs with its teaching that the fear and reverence of the Lord is the beginning of both wisdom and understanding shows us a much better way. Okay, so, so how can we sum up this better way? I think in these passages in Proverbs, we find portrayed an individual who's prudent, who is careful, who delights in wisdom, and as a result of that gains understanding and discernment. And as part of this, he's prepared to heed advice, and therefore he grows in his understanding or her understanding. And above all, I think as we've emphasized time and time again throughout the book of Proverbs, we find that the fear of the Lord is the foundation for everything that the wise person is. Proverbs 9, again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Yeah. May that be the foundations of all our lives. Thanks very much for listening.